And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which that is, the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. And the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes, which came down from Jerusalem, said, He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Then came his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, Thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, the gospel according to Mark shows us who Jesus Christ is and teaches us about the Savior by showing us his actions. And when we look at the actions of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 3 here, we see the divinity of Christ on full display. We see his divine nature. We see his divine power. We see the fact that he is, in fact, God in Christ. He is God. He is man. And he uses his divine power. In Mark chapter 3, you see Jesus putting his power to use. And how does Jesus use his power? His divine power, his omnipotent power. How did he use his power? If you had divine power, omnipotent power, if you could do anything without limitation, no financial limitation, no physical limitation, and you're not limited by the laws of physics and the laws of nature, okay? If you could do anything for one day, you've got 24 hours and you've got the power of God for 24 hours, what would you do with that power? Now think about that. Would you make yourself insanely rich? 
Would you heal yourself or your loved ones? Would you get revenge on somebody who did something bad to you? Would you go about trying to solve the world's problems? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, the only begotten Son of God, you see him putting his power to use here in Mark chapter 3. What's he doing? He's healing people. He's casting out devils. His ultimate mission was to go to the cross and use his perfection as the Son of God as an exchange for the sin of man. He gave himself on the cross. That was his mission. To give himself on the cross to redeem us from our sin. This is a big mission. This is a big job. This is something that's important to do. But as important as our redemption was, Jesus was not too high and mighty to stop and heal people and minister to individuals on the way. That's the humility of Christ. He has got divine, phenomenal powers. And he is not only working to redeem man from sin, but he is healing the individuals. He sees the value in the individuals. He has compassion, not just on this mass we call humanity, but he has compassion on individual people. And he uses his divine power for our good. Christ, he saw our needs. He met our needs. He saw our need for salvation and reconciliation to God. He met that need. He saw our need for healing, and he meets those needs. We have needs, don't we? We have needs. We have things that we lack. We have things that are hurting us. We have voids in our life. We have needs. And the Lord meets those needs. There are four needs I want to talk to you about out of this passage. The need of the world. The world, our community, the people without these walls that are out there, us that are in here, all of us have needs. I want to talk to you about those needs. There's the need for apostles. I called Mark an apostle earlier, but he didn't hold the office of apostle, but he was one sent with a message. We need people to carry out the message. We need apostles. We don't believe in the office of the apostle. But we do believe that the church is sent with a message. Do we not? The need for commitment. Too many Christians are on the fence. Not really wanting to commit to Christ versus committing to the world. They don't want to commit to the world because they know that's destruction. But they still kind of like some stuff over there. And they want to be just close enough to this that they're not fully committed to Christ. We have a need for commitment. And finally... We have a need for family. Let's talk about the need of the world. We look in verses 7 through 10. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And from Judea and from Jerusalem. And from Idumea and from beyond Jordan. And they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. And when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, 
insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. Jesus withdrew himself from the Pharisees and the multitudes followed him. Why did the multitudes follow Jesus? Because Jesus offered what they needed. The multitudes needed healing. Jesus offered healing. The Pharisees offered empty religion. The Pharisees offered a world where you could dress up and go to synagogue and put on a front that everything's okay even when things are not. And if things were not okay, it was your fault and you just don't have enough faith. And they created this world of empty religion. Jesus had confronted them on many occasions about this. But Jesus offered healing. Jesus offered redemption. The Pharisees offered judgment. Now, when we talk about judgment, I'm not saying that you can't tell somebody that something's a sin. Judgment is when you decide that someone cannot be saved, therefore you refuse to minister to them. That's judgment. We are told to warn the world against sin. But we are also told that we are not to pick and choose who we think can come to the Lord. All right? The Pharisees offered judgment. If you're a publican, you will never be able to see this, the kingdom of heaven. If you're one of the sinners, you will never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're an upper wealthy guy like us, you're, you're, right, you're just what we need. That's Pharisees. That's what they offered. The world did not flock to that, believe it or not. Jesus offered healing. He met their needs for healing. They went to Jesus. They followed the one who could meet their need. You know, our world today needs healing. And you think of physical healing. Whenever I say healing, you're thinking of the arthritic pain no longer being there. You're, you're thinking of the diabetes no longer being there. You're thinking of the heart beating in its proper rhythm. The world needs physical healing. People are suffering from physical diseases. And they need hope. Because nothing makes you feel more hopeless than being sick. I mean, I, I get a cold or a... I get the flu or I get a stomach bug. I get something that lays me up. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I'm such a wimp. Some of y'all wake up feeling like that every day because your bodies are just giving out on you. And it feels like they're just giving out on you. You've had arthritis. You've had this heart condition. You've, you've had this blood sugar condition, you know, all these years. And, and it can get so discouraging to continue to go through that. The world needs healing. We're not the only ones. Everybody's suffering with something. The world needs healing. And you know what? At LifePoint, we have prayed over people for whom the Lord has healed. We had a man on his deathbed. They told him he wasn't going to live past Sunday. I went to go visit him in the hospital. I said, what do you tell a man that's got three days to live? I said... So I hear you're going to get to go home. And he says, yeah, my wife tells me that they'll discharge me sometime Monday or Sunday or Monday. I thought, oh, they didn't tell him. So, okay. I didn't tell him either. Prayed for him. As a church, we gathered and prayed for this man. They discharged him on Monday. He, was, he, went, home, he went home healed. You know, we have prayed for people who have had cancer, and they go in to do another examination, another screening, and the cancer's gone. Sister Suzanne from down in San Angelo, we prayed for her. The Lord did that for her. 
Some of y'all have been laid up and we weren't sure if you were going to get back up and the Lord has lifted you back up. All right? But sometimes the Lord does not give us that answer. That's the answer we want. Sometimes he doesn't give us that answer. You pray for deliverance from the arthritis. You pray for deliverance from the heart disease. You pray for deliverance from the dementia. That's a legit deal. And the, the, the healing doesn't come through. But when the healing doesn't come through, what does the Lord say to us? He tells us the same thing that he told the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. You see, people not only need healing, but they need hope in the midst of the suffering. And we can offer that through Jesus Christ. Jesus can heal. Jesus can give hope. And so we are called to meet that need, to pray for and to minister to those who are suffering. But that's just physical healing. That's just physical healing. What about emotional healing? People who have been hurt by abuse, who have been betrayed, who have had broken relationships, family that have left them, people who have lost loved ones, who have been called up to heaven before they have been. The, um, that, that bereavement, that grief, that anger, that pain, that hopelessness, emotional pain. People need emotional healing. People are lonely. They're hopeless. They're broken. They're angry. And many of these issues are brought on by sin. The Lord can heal that too. Amen. You know, Gianna Jessen is an abortion survivor, very famous, survived a saline abortion, um, is a pro-life advocate. But she was speaking to the Pregnancy Care Center. They put on an Everybody Deserves a Birthday Banquet here about six years ago. She was speaking to it. And she was talking about growing up. When her mom's abortion failed, her mom put her up for adoption. And she was adopted. And her mom loved her. Her dad signed the paper and more or less walked away from her. And so she never really had a father. And she talks about how that left a void there. And it was a void that she was never able to fill until she learned to look to God as being her father. And she said to the young ladies, she said, that guy that you're dating will never fill that void for you. You have to learn to look to God as being your father. He can heal that emotional pain. Spiritual healing. Spiritual healing. Our separation from God by our sin, the destruction brought on by our sin, that hopelessness that comes from not knowing who the Lord is or not understanding the Lord or that, that lostness of trying to figure out what God's doing here. He heals that. Jesus is the one that offers that healing. That healing is available through Christ today. It's available to you if you turn to the Lord and you trust him. You see his love toward you. And you know what? You are really seeing healing in your life when you can see God's love toward you and you can turn around and apply that love to other people. Amen. Christ is the one who offers healing. Amen. But it's up to us to introduce people to Christ so that they can be healed. Amen. And that's why we have a need for apostles. Say, Brother Leland, Baptists don't believe apostles still exist. We, we, we don't believe in apostles the way some denominations believe in apostles where the office has been handed down. We don't believe that that's happened. 
But let's just look at the word in the most basic sense of its definition. An apostle is one who is sent with a message. That's what the word means. One who is sent with a message. So we have not been, we have not personally seen the physical body of Jesus Christ. He has not personally appeared to us and told us to go preach to the Gentiles the way he did the Apostle Paul. Okay, I understand that. But has he not called us all to salvation? Have you accepted that free gift of salvation? Did you know that when you accepted that gift of salvation, you totally handed your life over to him? Did you also know that his standing commandment and commission upon his people and his churches is to go forth and to preach the gospel? You have been sent with a message, the message of the gospel. He has sent us out the purpose of LifePoint Baptist Church is to share the message of the gospel with everyone we can. People locally. You walk in, you see people at Walmart, you meet people, you bump into perfect strangers and you make friends with them. You you see old friends somewhere. We are to to spread the gospel. We're to share the gospel with them. We're to put the gospel in the public square and to publicize it as much as we can. We are to support missionaries who are preaching the gospel. That's our mission. That's what God has called us to do. That's what God has told us to do. In verses 14 and 15, the Bible tells us that Christ sent forth his apostles. It says in verse 14, and he ordained 12. It means he set them aside that they should be with him. That he might send them forth to preach. And to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. He sent them forth to preach. What are they supposed to preach? The gospel. What's the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he rose again. The third day according to the scriptures. That he died for our sins redeeming us from sin. That he suffered that death on our behalf. And then he rose again so that we can have eternal life and eternal hope through him. That's the gospel. That's our message. Not politics. Now, sometimes you can't help but get involved in politics. Sometimes politics involves you. But our objective here is not to win elections. It's to preach the gospel. If enough people believe the gospel, if enough people follow the Lord, the elections will take care of themselves. He sent them forth to preach. He empowered them to heal diseases and to cast out devils. Christ worked through his apostles to reach the multitudes. It only makes sense. What's going on in Mark chapter 3? In Mark chapter 3, the multitudes are coming to Jesus. He's got to get in a boat and row offshore to keep from being mobbed. And, and who can blame the multitudes? They're dealing with some pretty difficult diseases. They need healing. So what's Jesus going to do to, to minister to this entire Multitude, he ordains his 12 apostles, gives them the power to do what he does. To preach, to heal, to cast out devils. It's more efficient that way. And the fact that he ordained his apostles and sent his apostles into the world and sent his disciples into the world after his resurrection is one of the reasons Christianity spread so rapidly in the known world at the time. Because you had so many evangelists. 
You see, God has a history of working through his people. God has always worked like this. God has always worked through his people. He worked through Adam. You say, that turned out well. Now, a lot of times we mess things up. He worked through Adam to teach Eve, to teach his sons. He worked through Abel to show us what a proper sacrifice and what a proper heart to the Lord and a proper faith toward the Lord is. He worked through Seth to bring up a godly lineage. He worked through Noah to preach repentance to the world and then worked through Noah to repopulate the world after he destroyed it in the flood. He worked through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to bring forth the nation of Israel. He worked through Joseph to save Israel from the famine. He worked through Moses to deliver Israel out of the slavery of Egypt. He worked through Joshua to conquer the promised land. He worked through Ruth to bring forth the Messianic lineage. He worked through David to establish the kingdom of Israel. He worked through Solomon to bring it to its highest point and to build his temple. He worked through Isaiah to warn Israel to repent from their idolatry or else they would be taken into captivity. He worked through Hezekiah to bring about a temporary revival in Israel to delay the captivity of Jerusalem. He worked through Ezekiel to warn of the fall of Jerusalem, but to promise the redemption at the end of the captivity. He worked through Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. He worked through Malachi to promise the coming of the Lord and the Lord's messenger. He worked through John the Baptist to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. He worked through Mary to bring forth the baby Christ. And he worked through the apostles to spread Christianity throughout the world. And he continues to work with us like that today. You have got a 6,000-year history of God working through his people. And he still works through his people today. He works through us to spread his gospel, to preach repentance, to bring hope, to bring hope. I feel sorry for anybody who's looking for anything else in the world right now to bring hope. Because they ain't finding it. The world needs apostles. And to have effective apostles. To effectively minister to this world. We need commitment. In verses 23 through 26. Jesus had been accused of being demonic. And using demonic power to cast out devils. And Jesus responded by saying. That doesn't even make sense. You see, Satan doesn't have power over the devils. He doesn't have power over the demons. He's just one of them. The only reason Satan has a dominion is because the demons willfully follow him. Now, if he's going to wage war on his followers, he's going to lose his dominion. He's going to lose his kingdom. And so Satan cannot be divided against Satan. He cannot fight against other demons And keep it all together. See the lesson here. And Jesus says it in verse 25. A house. And if a house be divided against itself. That house cannot stand. Something divided against its own self. Cannot stand. And if we are divided against ourselves. We cannot stand. And I don't mean merely if we be divided as a church. I mean if you are divided against yourself. If you, the individual, are divided against yourself in your heart. You've got split loyalties. You cannot stand. 
You cannot be consumed with the things of the world and be committed to Christ. You must be committed to Christ or you must be committed to the world. One or the other. You can't do both. You cannot serve God and money. We are seeing Christians suffer today because they want to enjoy the things of the world. They want to enjoy the praise of the world. They want to blend in with the world. They want to be accepted by the world. They want to enjoy the pleasures of the flesh. But then they also want to enjoy the things of Christ at their convenience. The Bible is clear that to be a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. You cannot do both. So you have to do what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. And these are important enough verses. I think we should flip over there. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. In Joshua 24, 14, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord... And serve him in sincerity and in truth. Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. He says, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Fear him, be committed to him, reverence him, worship him. Totally commit yourself to the Lord and all those foreign gods, those idols, those sins, those pleasures of the flesh that our fathers worshipped on the other side of the flood. You know, the one that resulted in the flood coming and that that they worshipped in Egypt when they were in slavery. Put all that stuff away. Put away the sin. Put away the vice. Put away the rebellion. Put away the hardness of the heart. Commit yourself to the Lord. That's what Joshua says in 24.14. But then in 24.15 he says, And what a way to say this. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. If that don't sound good to you. If serving the Lord does not sound good to you. He says choose you this day whom ye will serve. What Joshua is saying is get off the fence. Serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Worship him. Fear him. Love him. But if that sounds like a bad deal to you and you don't want to serve the Lord, then you make a decision who you will serve. At least be honest. Have integrity about it. Pick a side and go there. One thing I can appreciate about our modern culture, our modern culture is increasingly becoming anti-Christian. I contend that all we're seeing is not a great falling away of the faith, I contend we're just seeing more people being honest about what they believe. At least our culture is being honest about their ungodliness now. Joshua says, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, and now they're dead, or the gods of the Amorites, whom we conquered, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says to make a decision, to make a commitment, to commit yourself to the Lord. We need more of that. We need more Christians 
who will live for the Lord, who will allow the Lord to define their life's purpose, who will find pleasure in the things of God and in doing his will, as opposed to trying to enjoy the pleasures of the world and giving a nod to God on Sundays. Now, when you do this, when you commit yourself to the Lord and you are sold out for him and his will and his mission and his gospel is what you're living for, I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to make you weird. People are going to think you're weird. Mm -hmm. I had a, a kid that I coached in softball years ago that said, oh, yeah, you're the weird kid's dad. Or you're from the weird family. We, I don't think we were that weird. But they thought we were weird. When you live for the Lord, it'll make the world will think that you're weird. That's okay. You know, Dave Ramsey says, who wants to be normal? Normal's broke. It's the weird people who are able to manage their finances and are able to stay on top of their financial investments and, and to stay out of debt. You want to be weird and like the rest of the world and suffer through what they're suffering, or you want to be above that? Yes. You want to be weird. Amen. Titus 2.14 says that Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity <coughs> Excuse me, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. We're weird. And God loves that about us. He has, pure, he has redeemed unto himself and purified unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Yes. <clears throat> I've never met a super Christian who did it on his own. We need a family. Verses 31 through 35, Jesus is told that his mother and his brothers were outside looking for him. And he asked the question, who is my mother or my brethren? Then he answered, whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my mother and my sister and my mother. He was not disrespecting his family. He was showing the bond of himself to his disciples and thus showing the bond of his disciples to each other. As fellow Christians, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. We share a strong bond and we draw strength and comfort from that bond. Don't y'all look forward to seeing each other on Sundays? Amen. <clears throat> Therefore, we should gather together. It's not an option, it's not an added benefit, it's a need. You belong to the family of God. You need time with your family. Yes. We have needs. The world has needs. The world needs the gospel and the healing that it brings. Yes. We need apostles to carry that gospel out so that those needs can be met. We need those apostles and all Christians to be committed to the Lord. And we need time together with our spiritual family. Yes. Will you meet these needs? Yes. 